With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. So we have a new sponsor for the show, and I couldn't be happier. They have been great to work with, and that is Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone. They know how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising. They know how to offer a simplified one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions, and they know what makes our towns and cities tick. They are the most trusted media partner in America, so go visit SpectrumReach.com to get started today. Now, today's show, I'm really excited about it because I'm talking to someone I've never met him before, but... You know, I work in the events business, so I love to talk events and the events business, the events business got sidelined back in March when all live events stopped. And so I love talking about how different people have pivoted and made things happen. And that's exactly what our boss, our boss, our guest, he might be my boss. Maybe before this is over, he'll he'll be in charge. That is exactly what our guest is going to talk about today. So today I have Jim McCarthy. He is the CEO of a company called Gold Star. They are a ticket marketplace. So if you've ever needed to have tickets for like a great sporting event or to go see Hamilton or something like that, you got to have a good ticket marketplace because sometimes you just can't get tickets to things. Well, Gold Star is a major player in that market. And guess what happened to them in March? Who needs tickets when there's no live events? And so Jim and some others decided, you know what? We have to pivot. And they co-founded Stellar. And what Stellar does is Stellar is total show management for online events. Now, I work with corporations who do like sales meetings, team meetings. I work with associations who do annual conferences for their members. Uh, He works still in that entertainment space. But I'm starting to see this creep into the world. They can't have a concert. So somebody famous is going to do an online concert. Well, guess what? Somebody behind the scenes had better be managing it. And that's what Stellar does. So I'm excited because they're doing some pretty cool things. And we're going to learn about that today. So, Jim, welcome. Welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. So let's talk first about Gold Star. Tell me a little bit about the history of the company. Uh, You founded it. You were CEO. You guys were doing amazing things. I actually spoke one time. uh, God, it had to be like nine years ago at an event called the Ticket Summit. And it was made up of ticket brokers, ticket marketplaces, all the people in that secondary market. Uh, And I learned, wow, this is a whole thing. Uh, So tell me a little bit about Gold Star. Yeah, Gold Star, we founded in 2002. And we founded it really in the shadow of 9-11 when people were saying no one's going to go to, you, you might remember this, Tom, oh, you know, people aren't going to want to gather in large groups anymore. And we we were doing our business plan while not, when 9-11 happened. And I remember thinking, I don't believe that. Um, the story that I often tell is I had tickets to the Hollywood Bowl 
on the 13th of September. And, and as soon as I, you know, kind of stood up from watching the terrible news and everything, I thought, I'm definitely going. You know, if they don't cancel this event, I'm going. And when I got there, everyone else felt the same. You know, everyone there was just in the, you know, just incredibly high spirits and the energy was crazy and the place was packed. And, and that was the thing that, that really taught me that the need to gather physically and, and go to events and do all this stuff, it's more than just entertainment. It's more than just watching, you know, a fun show. It's getting together. It's, it's having that whole experience. And so then we, we started the business and the business, you know, grew and ran, you know, very successfully for all those years. You know, uh, we spread all over the country, um, have relationships with thousands of venues and producers and sell their shows for them and millions of customers. Um, and then, you know, uh, 9-11 couldn't stop the live entertainment business, but COVID <laughs> did. So it's so interesting. I've made my living for the past 11 years. It kind of got a little derailed in 2020, but uh, as a professional speaker and master yeah. of ceremonies for corporate type and association type events. And I started my business on April 1st, 2009. Now, if you think back to what was going on in April of 2009, arguably the bottom of the recession, uh, you know, I might've been the time when corporations were spending a little less on big meetings and, and things like that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody told me I got laid off from my corporate marketing job that I had with a consulting firm. And I said, I'm going to be a professional speaker. And everybody's like, well, you can't do that because the economy is cratering. And I kind of said, well, People still are meeting there. You know, the good news for me was they couldn't afford the expensive, well-known speakers. And I was willi- <laughs> I was willing to go to the event for a dollar ninety five and a chicken dinner. And I was able to build my reputation and my brand during that downtime. Now, fast forward to 2020. Now we're not having meetings. It's a little bit right. harder. You know, yeah. I might do it for a dollar ninety five and a chicken dinner, but there's not right. there's no chicken to be served. <laughs> virtual chicken, Tom. That, it's that, virtual chicken. That's right. So you guys over, you know, an 18, 19 year period, you built a nice company. You, you had some really cool things going on. Uh, what happened in March? Well, in March, the, the industry ceased to exist. <laughs> you know, and over the course of 36 hours, we and everybody in our industry experienced an approximately 100% drop in sales. Um, and, you know, we'd been tracking it. We, we sort of, it was like a slow moving train and we couldn't get off the tracks no matter what we did. Um, so we were a little bit, you know, had a little bit of a time to prepare, but I mean, how do you prepare for that? So um, after uh, absorbing the shock and, and really, you know, all, all the stuff that you go through with that, we started to see people doing better and better online events um, and eventually decided that A, not only was that a way to to pivot and and deal with the lack of in-person events the best way we could. But B, the more I looked at it, the more I thought about it, I realized that uh, online events were actually opening up the biggest opportunity for the live business in a long time. Well, and the interesting thing, and and your entertainment world and my corporate world are, are different, but they're, yeah. they're also very similar. People very ask similar. me what I think is going to be the long tail of the meetings industry from a business side. And I said, it's that hybrid is here to stay. And the reality is, if you think about it for entertainment events, sporting events, concerts, uh, plays, the different types of stuff you'd work with. For some people, being able to buy a virtual ticket, I mean, look at how many people, granted it was recorded, it wasn't live, but look at how many people signed up for, you know, Disney Plus just so, just so they could watch Hamilton, right? I mean, how many people, how many people did that? I mean, millions of people paid for one month. They didn't need it after that, but people are willing after this whole thing to watch their entertainment on a TV or on a computer. 
Well, I don't know how big of a K-pop fan you are, Tom. Uh, well, you know, yeah, I'm uh, uh, I, I, I zero. Zero. I, I was so going to say too. something funny and I didn't even know where to go. I barely know what I know what K-pop is. And that's about all I got for you. Yeah, right. Well, uh, the biggest band in the world right now is a little, little group called BTS. You may have heard of them. Um, they have had uh, now two massive, massive online concerts. The one they did this weekend. You want to guess how many uh, people paid to, to see the show? Around the world? Yes. Uh, so I would think like 97 people, but it's probably more than that. Yeah, it's just under a million people. So they they grossed forty four million dollars approximately this week, this past weekend in uh, in October in uh, for their virtual show. That's uh, that's a lot. Yeah. So 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 virtual works is what you're saying for entertainment. It, it definitely works. And you know the the first thing out of the skeptic's mouth when I use BTS as an example is they say, of course BTS can do it. I'm not BTS. And my next, what I say to them is, yeah, and you don't need $44 million every weekend to make a huge difference to your organization or your business either. Yeah, that's right. So that's right. You you can take zeros off of that and it still has a huge impact. Well, like for me, I'm now doing virtual events and I'm I'm the master of ceremonies or a speaker and I'm doing some training for law firms and other types of services businesses. And you know what? They're not paying the same as a live big event was, but if I stitch enough of them together... And I don't have to get on an airplane. You know, there's something to be said for this world. And I don't think it's going to entirely go away when COVID plays out its course. So well, I, 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 I think that's I, right. I think you said something very interesting, which I, I, I want people to, to hear, which is the idea that hybrid, the hybrid model is why not, right? Why not? I mean, I think in the conference world, it's so obvious, right? Because you do everything you do to have this, uh, this in-person experience at a conference, there's nice food, there's, you know, tchotchkes, there's whatever. For almost no more money, you can make a virtual version of that that, you know, won't be as expensive, but thousands of people could go. Well, right? What's what's the, the downside? Well, here's a, so here's an example that I think of. Right. So I've never done this because I'm not a fan of opera. But I know when I go to AMC theaters and watch a movie, one of the things they advertise, and I forget what the company's called. It starts with like an F, like Fathom or something, that they advertise. Um, Is that what it is? Yeah. They they advertise that like on a certain Saturday at eight o'clock at night, you can buy a ticket and they're going to live stream, you know, Labo M from the Met. And it's actually a live performance. It's taking place in New York. And people go, apparently, who love opera to the theater and watch this. Yeah. And is it the same? No. But if you live in Austin, Texas, and you're not going to be in New York and La Boheme is playing, that might be an awesome option. Yeah. Maybe more things should be done that way. Yeah. So the the Met and the National Theater in the UK have been the pioneers in this, really. They've been at it for almost 10 years or maybe as mm-hmm. much as 10 years. Yeah, it's certainly been that long. And they have data that that is very clear that A... It doesn't cannibalize in-person tickets. I mean, that's a, you know people worry about that, but it's it's not a worry. B, it's profitable, and C, it actually functions as marketing. Yeah. Because if I guarantee that your probability of going to the Met, if you ever go to New York, would go up if you saw in your theater in Austin a Met show. I think you know your chances are probably pretty low right now. If you went and saw it, and you're like that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. 
there's name recognition, there's experience with it. You're going to be more likely to show up. So the overlap between your world and my world as we talk, you can see I'm bouncing around on camera here, is so <laughs> true. So six years ago, I started a, a program, a product uh, with another speaker called The Conference Talk Show. And mm. our thought six years ago was that business events like major association conferences and large customer events were all going to go virtual, that the streaming was finally there. It was all going to happen. And yet you can't just put up a camera and stream your live event to the people at home because that's boring. boring. So we started a thing where we would be the hosts of the online version of the event. And when people would go to coffee break, what we had seen most groups do is put up a slide that said back in 40 minutes. Right. Well, no, that's when people go pick up their kids or they go to the store, or they never come back at home. Right. So we right. started True. a talk show where we would interview the speakers and say, let's go a little deeper. Let's tell the people at home what the people here didn't get. And at-home audiences loved it. The only problem is meeting planners didn't want to pay for it. They didn't value that at-home audience. But the uh, a company called Even Digital- they were paying to be yeah. in it? I mean, they, did they not see the revenue? Yeah, yeah well, so this, uh, sometimes they were paying, sometimes it was free. But this oh, company see. did, either way, they didn't value it. And Digital, the company that does streaming for them, Digital came back and said, all of their people who do this with intention- the next year, more people come to the conference because after you've watched it online, you're hungry to be there on person. And while you could change, you might charge the same amount, you might charge less. If you've got a thousand people there live and you're selling out and you can put another thousand, even if your ticket for an at-home ticket is half price, you just made 50% more and you don't and have to, margin. and you're and not feeding margin. them any chicken. Yeah, that's right. I, I think it's it's so true. And what you said, I, I, you're just nailing it here, Tom, today. <laughs> the, the Doing it with intention is what it's all about. And I say this uh, all the time now, to, talking to live event and live entertainment and arts producers, is the, the formula is one that they already know, which is really simple. Put on a good show and then charge people for it, right? <laughs> it really is that simple. That, that's what but, we call entertainment going back 3,000 years, right? That's it, right? Like we, we know this part. This is what the industry does. And somehow some people sort of feel like the, you know, the laws of physics have been reversed. And so they don't have to focus on, on, you know, the quality aspect of the online event, because I don't know, but the people who figured this out and are figuring it out have realized like, no, it's the same, yep. you know, I've, I've got to put quality into the show. And that might mean a slightly different thing for an online show. And, right? and what I'm finding as I talk to, to people in the meetings business or CEOs who are going to have a client event and they, you know, they know I do this stuff. Uh, I'm certainly not a meetings consultant, but I've seen a lot of meetings. The one thing I'm saying is, look, it changes your agenda for the live audience because yes. we're, we're accustomed to going to a business conference and sitting for an hour and listen to some guy talk over his PowerPoint. Yeah. But, at, but at home, that's not what we do. We do not turn on the TV at eight o'clock at night to watch a lecture. So, right. but the talk show format if you look at Jimmy Fallon, if in the morning you look at uh, uh, Kelly and Ryan uh, right. or The View, it's shorter format segments with a lot of interviews with a little bit, you know, one's done one way, one's done a little other, you know, sometimes everyone's in the conversation, sometimes it's one on one. Uh, shake it up a little bit, which means you're going to have to change your live audience. You're going to have to meet in the middle between the two in order to have a great online show and a great in-person show. And so how does that affect, like, let, let's look at a concert. How does streaming, how do you have to change the show to make sure that the at-home audience is wowed like they would be if they were watching TV? Well, if you think about what you can do with a concert or a, a theater production or, you know, in, you know, comedy or any of those kinds of things, you almost treat it like you would uh, a, a piece of cinema. Right. So you might not have to change the, the live experience necessarily, 
but what the person is seeing at home could be very different, right? So for example, something that you can't get in an in-person concert in any meaningful way is a close-up, right? A camera can come flying down on a wire and give you a really nice shot and a close-up of Bruce Springsteen or, or BTS standing on stage. You can do screen effects. You can do all so, kinds so of things. Bruce right? Springsteen and BTS often don't come up in the same sentence, but that was, that was a good use of the two. Well, I mean, uh, I was just trying to hit both sides of the age. You know? but, I, I was thinking you, you covered everybody alive with those everybody. two choices. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, and, and, and by the way, who wouldn't want to see them play, play together, together. together. I right, mean, right here. I think I think that we have the largest online entertainment event ever is right. when BTS and Bruce Springsteen share the stage. I think BTS Springsteen is what the show should yes. be called. So Bruce, <laughs> call me. I, we can make it happen online. I, I, I would pay to see that without, sure. without question. I think that would be great. So I'm having more fun than I'm supposed to have as the host of the show, Jim. Uh, I've got a lot more questions for you. Okay. So before right, I let you me. go, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in the business world like Jim McCarthy. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do because you tell me that you want to jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. And yes, I do realize three months after I changed the name of the show from cool things entrepreneurs do to making waves at sea level, I have never called podfly and say we need a new URL because I still like saying cool things. So check out podfly.net slash cool things. So Jim, Let's back up a step. You've been a CEO of a company for a long time. You watched that business drop by 100%. And then you pivot to this new thing. So what does it take as a leader to be able to watch your industry collapse and then pivot into something so new and so sort of different? Um, Maybe desperation. I mean, mean, really, I mean, like it's, it's, uh, it's highly motivating when you, when you consistently, see zeros on the, on the sales sheet. For a while. Yeah. Well, I, I understand that. I also, I took a job with an executive search firm uh, who I've been talking to for years. Cause you know, as a speaker, I do have some free time and, and I meet a lot of really cool companies and this executive search firm, a uh, company called Stanton chase. Uh, I spoke at their partner meeting a few years ago and they said, come to work for us while you're doing your speaking stuff, just help drum up, be a business development guy for us. And I wasn't interested. And when the, when the bottom fell out of the speaking world, I'm like, hello, Stanton chase. <laughs> I, I, I think we should work together. No, uh, as it turns out, I am interested. As it turns out. And as it turns out, they're the best company I've ever worked for in my career. So I'm loving it. Right. And and I will al- I'll always do both. I'm going to continue to be a speaker and a podcaster, and I'm going to continue to work in executive search. It's awesome. But desperation, I get it. Well, you know, I mean, it's not just desperation because desperation can motivate a lot of, uh, of, you know, unthinking kind of like lurching around. I think it's a combination of desperation and you know, when you're the leader of a, a company, when you have people who, um, you know, whose livelihoods and, you know, in this case, it's sort of like their health was it's, you know, everyone felt a sense of threat to their health, especially at the beginning of COVID when we understood it less, hmm. you know, um, you, 
you're in a position to where your ability to to bring some uh, composure to to yourself and your communication spills over to the people that that you lead. And I, I think that's just one of the most important things. This idea that you know what whatever happens, we're going to deal with it in the best way we possibly can. Um, and, and, you know, being honestly, there, there was a lot of time, especially in the early days when, when I, I just said, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We, you know what I mean? We, we don't, we don't have any idea when this is going to end and we don't exactly know what we're going to do. But what I can promise you is that we're going to, um, we're going to overturn every stone. We're going to think very deeply and we're going to do the best thing we possibly can. And I'm going to tell you about it as it happens. So what's the best part about Stellar? And how are you making waves in the meeting or in the uh, events and entertainment industry? So Stellar is great because if you can produce a live in-person show with Stellar, you can produce an online event that you can get paid for, uh, avoid 90% of the technical difficulty. And, you know, we've got some built-in marketing tools to help you even sell it. So it allows people that are in the live entertainment industry, the people that we deal with, to actually be in business right now. Um, which is a big deal, you know, uh, and I would say it allows them to develop the skill and the knowledge of how to make online events work for them so that when we're back in action with the in-person events, it's not just a stopgap to get through the crisis. It's a supercharger to the business model. You were talking about conferences like, you know, if if a conference does well, that's a decent business model, right? It's not, it's not like, you know, Google or something, but it's a, if it's, if it's a well-subscribed conference, it's a pretty good business model. If you layer on the same number of people coming virtually paying half price or even less at virtually no margin, suddenly the business model of the conference, and it's the same thing with entertainment looks fantastic. Mm It takes it, it takes it from a business model that's actually, if you don't get to 60, 65%, typically you're kind of in trouble, you know? Um, and then as soon as it gets good, you've got that 100% capacity, slams the door on your profitability. Online events actually blow that wide open. And so what Stellar is the doorway to being able to do that for online live event and arts and entertainment producers. So that's, that's pretty exciting. So what is the response you're seeing from people in arts and entertainment? I mean, I, I assume now they've pulled themselves off the floor and, and have had the paddles put to their chest. How are, how are they feeling? Um, it's a tough time. In the yeah, I mean, they just, what, Broadway Inc. isn't opening again until June of next year? That's That was and a big pushback. May, May 30th. I mean, I, I don't think anyone was surprised by that. Um, I, I actually think um, it's possible that it will actually open on, on this date, though. Uh, this is the first date that they've announced that's been at all credible. Um, and they knew they, they never, you know, I'm not saying they weren't telling the, they, they were just like kicking the can well, down the road. Well, we, we've all been hopeful. So I, I have yeah. a, I have a daughter who's a college graduate and yeah. while she was in college, in addition to getting a business degree from a great school, she met a young man and they were supposed to get married on May 16th. And I remember telling her on March 16th, by May, we're going to be fine. Do not stress out. You're <laughs> it's a small destination wedding. It will be fine. And then uh, a month later, that wedding was was no longer planned. They yeah. rescheduled with a new locate. They decided to move cities, do away with the destination wedding. Uh, her in-laws have a killer backyard. They're going to like tent the tennis court. They're going to do it in San Diego, get married on the beach, sure. you know, go up to the land that uh, her, his parents live on. And uh, that was going to be October 10th. 
which would have been yeah. last Saturday. And uh, I remember telling her, oh, by October 10th, everything will be great. <laughs> And uh, so we talked on October 10th and she's like, yeah, I don't listen to you anymore about when the pandemic ends, dad. You, you know, I'll tell you what we did do back in May is we um, we did some scenario planning and ba basically what can you control and what can't you control? And we realized we couldn't control the pandemic. Um, and so we, we thought about three worlds that could unfold. One optimistic world where let's say maybe by October we're we're selling, at least we're selling tickets for shows that are November, December, something like that. One sort of middle ground where it's February, March, and one pessimistic one where it's, you know, even later. 2020, 2022. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, but, um, you know, it was very clear that in order for the optimistic scenario to come true, a whole bunch of miracles had to happen. So there, as, as we were kind of working backwards from, okay, we're opening in, we're opening in, in October, well, what would it take for that to be true? And I just could not, in my mind, put together a fact pattern <laughs> that I could believe in that could actually occur. So I was like, it's not going to be October. You know what I mean? Like a, a, a miracle, I think, would, would, be, would be the answer. Like, you know, one of those cartoon clouds, that, you know, a miracle, you know. Um, so, but, but I think that, that um, realistically between the, the gradual rollout of vaccines and faster, cheaper testing, I think it's viable that that um, live events will start to come back in more numbers by about May of next year. Could could be a little quicker, but probably not is my is my take. Every now and then I talk to somebody who's real pessimistic who thinks this will be with us forever and the world will never get back to normal. And I do point out that I am not an expert on infectious diseases, but I've yeah. done a little bit of reading about pandemics over the last thousand years. And one yeah. thing is true with all of them. They yeah. all ended and it yeah. all sort of passed. And uh, yeah. the typical run is like 18 months to two years or something like that. So eventually, you know, vaccine yeah. or otherwise, the the the, the, the scare of this will go away. But yeah, there no is going to be that long tail where if anybody sneezes on a plane, people are going to beat them up. Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, I don't want it to go that far, but I mean, you know, <laughs> that we could probably stand slightly uh, cleaning up a little bit. Some of our. Habits. I think that's one thing that all of us who go through this will will probably take with us is a little more hand washing, a little more, uh, yeah. you know, carrying Ma tissue Ma with us. Masks aren't weird anymore. In April, I no. thought that's weird. You know, here's the thing. I understood it immediately because I lived in Japan for about two and a half years right out of college. And when I first went over there, I would see people wearing masks just walking down the street, you know, like, you know. Um, and and I, I remember saying, like, what's that about? Well, they're sick. And, some, the, you know, my, my Japanese coworkers just said they're sick. Right. Yeah. People did it to protect other people. Right. Right. And so when when they started talking about masks here first, I was like, I get it. Yeah. And so many people had it all the way backwards. Right. Well, it's not going to protect you. It's like it's not it's not for that. It's not for that. <laughs> um, but anyway. So. Yeah. So that's the thing. So what advice do you have for leaders out there who have to pivot, change, face problems? What does it take to to, to be a leader these days? I think um, a lot of candor, um, you know, I, I think a, a, a good transformation has taken place in maybe consciousness that allows for a leader to be able to be candid with not knowing every answer to every question. But you have to actually cash that in with people. You know, you have to actually say, um, you have to, you can't just, just going up with like, 
we're going to do it. We're going to win. Like it, it just there's nobody's buying that anymore. Right. Like I, I think, you know, to some degree, any adult under the age of 40 is just not buying the rah-rah. It's just not what they're about. You know, Gen Xers aren't about that either, to be, to be honest. Right. But it, it, on the other hand, the plus side is you can say, look, um, we don't know how, how bad this is going to get. We don't know how long it's going to last. We're, we're working on things that you're all involved in. And the goal is to do this and we're going to do everything we can. And we think we know a lot about how to overcome this. There are problems that we're going to overcome them, but I can't tell you when and exactly how. And, and, and I don't know the answers mm-hmm. to everything. So there's a, there's a space to be more vulnerable as a leader, but you have to be candid too, right? Like it, it, it's like a two sides of the same coin kind of thing. You don't have to pretend you're Superman because nobody believes you if you do. So I ask everyone who comes on the show as we kind of close out, when you look out into the world of business, who do you admire? Who do you think of when you think of like a leader and you say, wow, she or he, they are making waves. Uh, well, one one person who's not with us anymore, who's been one of my my business heroes forever, is Herb Kelleher from Southwest uh, Southwest Air. As as a Texan, I know I've I've met him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I think I think um, uh, you know I, I just think Herb's leadership style was kind of like what I was just saying. Like he he had a very clear focus and vision on the future, and was able to tell everybody in Southwest and beyond like what they stood for and and what they were about. Um, but it, he didn't have to. Um, to kind of act like he was, you know, General Patton or anything like that. Like he, he, he was able to, and that's why people loved him. And that's why that company succeeded, has succeeded for so long, I think. So yeah. I, I've always, I've always thought of Herb Keller and, and maybe people don't know Herb Keller as much as they used to. Well, it's interesting because I'm trying to think, you know, 600 episodes and he would be one I would have thought would have come up before. And I don't not? know that anyone has ever said that. Wow. That's, that's too bad. Um, He's, you know, someone should do like a, I don't know, a Netflix special about Herb Keller or something. I don't know. <laughs> they'll, they'll make a, a movie musical. like they did, like they did to the McDonald's founder. They'll make a movie about his life. Yeah. How about Herb Keller, the musical? That's, that, that's what that, there you go. And you could produce, Stellar could produce it. It could be a hybrid of it. Totally. Totally. I think that's right. No, I mean, uh, he, he, um, I think he wrote a book. Well, he's been a lot written about him. So if people are curious, I think they should, they should uh, dig into the history of Herb Keller. Yep. Absolutely. So. Jim, if somebody listened to this and they have to know more about you, how do they find you? Well, if they want to know about producing an online event, which they should, if they're in the business, go to StellarTickets.com and um, uh, and we'll help. You know, we're, we're basically standing by to help you get your online event off the ground. If they want to know more about me, it's JimMcCarthy.info has more stuff about me. I don't know if, if it's about me they want to know, but uh, I'm on Twitter at GoldStarJim. And, um, uh, you know, generally speaking, though, go to Stellar Tickets, reach out to our team, We'll help you think about how to put your event together and probably be a good move for you because awesome. uh, it's a big opportunity. Hey, I am so glad that you uh, joined me kind of on short notice to be uh, today's guest. This was a lot of yeah. fun. This was this was a good a good chat. Same here. And Same, thank you. To, thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? Uh, we've been at this for six years and 600 plus episodes, uh, and I'm not stopping anytime soon. Uh, always, always appreciate your feedback. You can email me, Tom at TomSinger.com. Uh, also I love it when I get those reviews on like Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast love that says, I love this show, but more importantly, go tell somebody about this show. Because when I talk to somebody and I say, how did you find my show? There's thousands of business podcasts. They always say, my mom told me, my brother told me, my friend told me that I would really like it. So uh, do me a favor, go tell a friend.
I'll, I'll wait. You can do it right now. No, really. I'll, I'll do it right after we get off. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, and tune in every single week. I do two of these, uh, usually on uh, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, we're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody just as cool as Jim McCarthy. And I know you're thinking, how will that ever happen? But we do it every single week. In the meantime, go out there, make some waves, flex your entrepreneurial muscles. While you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.